husbands, fathers, you are in the gun sights this morning. And we're going to be talking about how you can make your family functional. In fact, how you can put the fun back in functional. Uh, a mild-mannered man was tired of being bossed around by his wife. So he went to a psychiatrist. And the psychiatrist said he needed to build his self-esteem by learning how to be more assertive. So he gave this man a book to read. And so he jumped into it right away, began to read it. By the end of the day, he was ready to face his wife. He came home and stormed in, opened the door, shook his finger in his wife's face and said, From now on, I want you to know that I'm the man of this house and my word is law. He said, well, after I'm done eating my meal, and I want it to be a gourmet meal, I expect a sumptuous dessert. And then, after dinner, I'd like you to draw a bath for me. And after the bath, guess who's going to clothe me and, and uh, comb my hair? And she said, the funeral director. Okay, so we're going to ta- try to tackle the subject. Uh, men, being a good husband, being a good father. Here's the thing. I think that most of us understand that the traditional church view of husbands, fathers, is that a man is supposed to be the head of his house. He's supposed to give leadership. Now, we've... we've We've somehow misunderstood that. We've taken that to mean that men are supposed to be the dictators of the house and that they're supposed to command and demand and order people around and boss everyone around. If you understand that that's what it means to be head of your house, then there's a good chance that you're probably uh, uh, not getting along too well with your family. But if you understand that being head of your house means to be the chief servant then you're probably getting it right most of the time. Now, here's what I do know. I know that everybody has a different kind of a personality. There's some some who are very outgoing, some who are quite forceful. Others are more mild-mannered, maybe not as forceful. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to resist the temptation to try to push everybody into one box and make everybody look the same. The Bible does not tell us that there is sort of one way to be But rather, it tells us that there are principles that we're supposed to practice and put into practice in our home. So, so guys, here's the thing. If, if you're not the one in your home that's got the more sort of dominant personality, that you're not that forceful, that you're maybe a little bit more mild-mannered than your wife is, which is a very real possibility, that's okay. But what you do need to learn today is what does it mean to be the husband to be the father that God wants you to be. And there's two things that you're going to, uh, I'm going to ask you to follow along with through, the, through this morning. There's two things that all men, all Christian men who want to do things God's way, all men must do these things. And here's, here's what they are, very simply. Men, you are called to make sure that everybody in your household knows that you love them. And so I'm going to ask you the question right now. Does everybody in your household know that you love them? And I don't mean just, oh, yeah, they know it. They they all know I love them. No, I mean, do they really know it? Are you getting on with your family? You get along with your kids? You get along with your wife? Do they really know you love them? And then the second thing is this. 
Your job as a father, as a husband, is to be the one who gives leadership concerning what you value as a family. What is your, what is your value statement? What is it you believe that you need to do as a family? We'll talk more about that in just a moment. But first of all, let's talk first about what does it mean to be a good father. Now, everybody knows that almost on a regular basis, monthly, almost weekly, I talk about the fact that life is all about relationships. This is what life is. This is the sum total of life. When you come to the end of your life, the one question that you're going to have in your heart and in your mind is, is, did I get it right in terms of my relationship to my wife, the relationship to my kids, and relationship to my God? That's all that matters in your last breath. So here's what you need to know. You need to work on that right here, right now. And if you haven't been working on it, you need to start on it today. So how do we do this? What's the pattern? What is the template for us? Well, thankfully, the Apostle Paul tells the believers in Ephesus what it means to be a good father. And here's what he says. And uh, maybe if you could just read this with me. Fathers... Do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Now, Paul, in this verse, is showing us two ways to be a father. One of them is legitimate, and the other one is absolutely not legitimate. Now, here's the problem. In so many families, most fathers are doing it the wrong way. In fact, you're doing it the way that the Apostle Paul describes in this verse. This first sentence, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way that you treat them. So there's two extremes to this. Two two ways that you make your children angry at you. The first way, guys, is that you act like you're the boss. You're the boss. Do as I say. Don't interrupt me. Don't talk back. Just do as I say. No discussion. Don't talk back. I'm the boss. And so, rather than having some kind of a meaningful relationship with your children, there is no relationship. You're the boss, you call the shots, and nobody talks back. Okay, so that works fine when they're little, but as they begin to grow up and as they begin to develop their own brain and their own ideas, it's not long before you have a mighty rebellion on your hands. You have kids that will rebel against that because they're built for relationship, and you are not engaging them in relationship. Now, the other side, the other extreme of that is that you are one of those fathers who is is present, but you have absolutely no input into your kids' lives. The kids don't really know you. You don't really know the kids. And your idea is, I bring home the paycheck. What more do you want? A lot of homes like that. The father doesn't know the kids. The kids don't know the father. The father would rather hang out with his buddies from work, rather go for beer, rather go play golf, rather go do something other than going home and seeing the kids. No guidance, no help, no input, no direction. And here's the thing. Kids will get very angry with both the father who is a dictator and he'll also be angry with a father who is disconnected and not involved. The only difference is that they know why, with the dictator, they know why they're angry. They don't understand why they feel angry with a father who's disconnected and not involved. Here's what everybody needs to know. Are you ready for this? 
Children are looking for direction. Children need guidance. Children need somebody to show them the way. And it's, listen, it's extremely frustrating for kids when somebody's not showing them the way. You want to see frustrated kids? I'll show you kids that have, don't know which direction they're supposed to go in. They don't know what's expected of them. They don't know what the boundaries are. They don't know what the guidelines are. Now, I've actually heard parents say, you know, I'm not going to be like my parents. I'm going to let my kids make their own decisions and make their own choices and decide whether they want to go to church or not. I'm going to let my kids decide what religion they're going to be. Okay, can I just tell you this? The very definition of fatherhood and the very definition of being a husband is that you give direction, you give guidance. So you cannot even call yourself a father if you're not giving guidance and direction to your family. And can I just say this? It doesn't stop after your kids turn 18. When your kids turn 18, they don't magically become self-sufficient. In fact, my experience is that, is that at 18, they need more help than ever. And everybody said, yeah, well, you know it for yourself. In fact, your job as a father, as a husband, it doesn't ever stop. You are a husband, you are a father till the day you die. So the question is this morning, what kind of a father are you? Are you the kind that makes your kids angry because you're, you're disconnected and not involved or because you are a, a dictator and a boss? Paul says, don't provoke your kids to anger. And that's a sure way you're going to make them angry at you. You're not being a father at all when you are the dictator or when you're disconnected. You say, well, I'm not the talkative type. Tough. Learn how to talk. I'm by nature quiet. I'm by nature, I just let my wife do all the talking. Learn how to talk. Learn how to use your words. The ones you learned in kindergarten, in childhood. Start using those words, guys. Start learning to talk. Listen, start learning how to share your feelings. Oh, Pastor, I knew you were going to get around to that. Uh, last thing in the world. I don't want to talk about my feelings. Let's talk about barbecuing. <laughs> Let's talk about grilling. Let's talk about hockey. Uh, let's talk about the Jets winning in overtime. We can talk about that for hours. But don't make me talk about my feelings. Okay, here's what you need to know. That the very foundation of relationships is that there is a heart connection, heart to heart. And so my question to you today is, what kind of a father are you? Are you that kind of a father that provokes your, your children to, angry, to anger? Or are you this other kind of father that Paul talks about? He says, rather than provoking your kids to anger... Listen to this. Bring them up with the discipline and the instruction that comes from the Lord. Now that phrase, bring them up, in, in the Greek, the actual Greek word is nurture them. Now I'm going to tell you something. The word nurture is often associated with women. It's mothers that do the nurturing, right? It's the mothers who cherish and, and protect and cradle and cuddle their kids. But the word that, that Paul uses... In the, in the original language is fathers, nurture your kids. Love your kids. How? Through discipline and through instruction that comes from the Lord. Now let's just let's break that down for a moment. The two aspects, or the two ways, guys, that you're going to show love to your kids, first of all, is in fact through discipline. Through teaching them what is right and what is wrong, through teaching them that there are consequences for behavior that does not 
match or meet up with your way of doing things or with your value system. And there are, listen, and there are rewards for when they get it right. Now, fathers, this is your job. Your job is to, is to give out consequences and give out reward. We call this discipline. Now, what is the end result of discipline? Can I just remind everybody here today? Discipline is not revenge. <laughs> it's not your way to get even with the kids. You know, they, they're driving you nuts. I'm going to teach them a lesson now. <laughs> it's their turn. You know, and so you become a bully. And you, you, you beat your kids up. And you teach, you're going to teach them, oh, I'm the boss. That's not what discipline is at all. What is the end result of discipline? Why do you discipline your kids? I'll tell you why. Because someday your kids are going to move out of your house. Hopefully. (laughs) Someday they're going to go on their own. Now here's the thing. Mom, you can't follow your son and go live with him wherever he goes. Here's what's going to have to happen. Your son is going to have to learn how to be self-disciplined. In other words, the goal of your discipline now is for their future self-discipline. That's their only hope. And if they don't learn now how to be self-disciplined through your discipline, then their lives will be wild and out of order. Now, I'm going to tell you, this is the thing that I deal with as a pastor all the time. I deal with, with families where everybody is just out of control. There's no discipline. Mom and dad aren't disciplined. The kids aren't disciplined. Everybody's wild and crazy, and they want me to come and fix it. Can I tell you something? I can't. I can't fix it. You have to fix it, because that's your job. Now, I want to just tell you the power of self-discipline. Brian Tracy, who's a, a prolific author, um, and his, his main thing is, 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 is teaching on goal setting and, and getting things done. That's his main thing. But here's, here's what he says about self-discipline. You ready for this? He says the closest thing that he can think of to being like magic is self-discipline. Because here's the thing. If you can be self-disciplined, you can achieve anything. Did you get that? Fathers, if you want to be a really a great father, you need to discipline your kids so that they can come to the place where they are actually self-disciplined. So that when they leave your home, they can make right choices and do the right thing all the time. And if they can learn how to do that, the more self-disciplined they are, the more successful they will be in life, in their marriage, in their job, in their friendships, etc., etc., and most importantly, in their relationship with God. Self-discipline, he says, is like magic. Well, guess where it comes from? Fathers, it starts with you. You're the one that's got to do this, and this is what the Apostle Paul is saying. So you're going to discipline them. You're going to teach them what it means to control themselves. You're going to make sure that you give consequences for bad behavior, and you're going to reward good behavior. Do you know, in, the, in the, the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12, one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible, I really would advise everybody after the service to uh, get your Bible out and read Hebrews chapter 12. But here's what, here's what the writer of Hebrews 12 says. It says, as you endure the divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Who ever heard of a child who was never disciplined by his father? 
So here's the thing. In your home as fathers, you are disciplining your kids. You are teaching them what they need to know. Why? For their own good. Not just so you can get even with them and teach them a lesson, but you're teaching them discipline for their own good. And here's the other part of it. Because someday when they leave home, then they're going to begin to experience the discipline of God. If they didn't experience it in your house, they're going to experience it from God. If you don't give the discipline, they're going to get it from God. Because why? Because God loves them. And the Bible says God disciplines those he loves. In fact, God says, the Bible says, that those who do not experience the discipline of God are not God's children. So you need to understand that discipline is, in fact, the highest form of love. That might be very hard for you to understand because you have a very negative idea, a negative understanding of what discipline is. Discipline is patterned after what God does in our lives to make us better people. Now, here's the next part that you need to know. It says here, bring them up in the discipline and the instruction that comes from the Lord. Your job, my job, if in fact we're going to bring them up in the instruction of the Lord is we have got to make sure we know our Bibles. We have got to actually know what the Bible commands us to do. And I'm going to tell you, there's lots in the book. There's lots that you need to know. The Bible, folks, is a, is a guideline. It's a map. It's a handbook for life and how to live the abundant life. Remember I said back a few weeks ago, someone said, I tried Jesus, but it didn't work. The reason it didn't work is because you didn't do it Jesus' way. If you're going to truly try Jesus and do it Jesus, uh, try, try Jesus and, 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 and see Jesus work in your life, you're going to have to do what he says. Well, the only way that you can do what he says is if you, you've got to know what he says. And so you need to know your Bible. Gentlemen, fathers, this is the first, your first line of duty as fathers, as husbands. You've got to make sure you have a relationship with God and you, you know what is in that book. Now, after you know it's in that book, then you begin what uh, the writer of Deuteronomy tells us to do. You begin to discuss the principles of life. You begin to discuss the precepts, the laws of God, as outlined in the Scripture. And the writer of Deuteronomy says this, when you're walking on the road, discuss it with your kids. When you're putting them to bed at night, discuss it with your kids. When you get up in the morning, discuss it with your kids. When they're going to bed, discuss it with your kids. But discuss what? Discuss the truth that God has given to us in order that we may have an abundant life. Now, I'm going to tell you this, and this is for everyone. You need to have a clear value statement. You need to know what it is that you as a family really highly value. Last night, uh, I sat down with my family, and uh, we just discussed what our values are. And the, the things that they've been hearing from Gloria and from me over all these years. And uh, I want to share with you our value statement. What it is that we believe. And, and what it is that we stand for. Now can I just tell everybody this? If you don't know what your values are, your values very simply are reflected in your behaviors. Whatever you do tells me what you value. So if I came and spent a week with you, at the end of that week and maybe at the end of the day, I could actually sit down and I could tell you what you value, what your belief system is. Because here's, here's what I know for sure. You always do whatever you believe. So you could say, I believe that, but if you don't do it, then you don't really believe it. For instance, 
If I say that I'm, I, I care about the poor, then i got to prove that by my actions. So I can actually say to you, I care about the poor. And the reason I, I, I can tell you that is because I give to the poor. I go to poor countries to help poor people. So I can prove to you that I care about the poor. I care for the poor in my neighborhood. And I can, I can tell you that's one of my values based on what I do. Okay, so here's the thing. What is your value system based on how your family operates? And gentlemen, it's your responsibility to drive the value system in your household. We're not all type A personalities. We're not all drivers. We're not all loud and brash. Some are mild-mannered. Some are more outgoing. Some are quieter. Some are more reflective. Some are more outgoing. It doesn't matter what your personality type is. What I do know is this, is that God wants you as a father to make sure that you are disciplining your family and secondly, that you are leading the charge in your value system. That you're making sure that everybody is falling into line with what you believe. Let me just quickly share with you the Duncalf family values. And I'm saying my, my family, this Duncalf, the Gloria, Gloria and Alan Duncalf family. Here's our values. Number one is that we, in our family, value the very first command, the great commandment. Love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the way we do this is by obeying Christ. We ask ourselves a question. All of us, all, all five of us, ask ourselves a question, what would Jesus do? Do we always get it right? No. We don't always get it right. But that is our, that's our goal, that's our aim, that's what we value. We work hard at making sure that we honor God in everything we say and all that we do. Th- things like humility and modesty and um, being holy and being uh, truthful. These are the things that honor Christ. This is one of our values. This is how we live our lives. We All five of us try to live that way. And guess what, guys? My job as a father, as a head of my home, is to make sure that I drive that. And that I make sure that if we're not falling in line with that, that I bring everybody in line with that. And I could, you could say, well, boy, that, sounds, that sounds too good to be true. Well, ask my wife. See if, she, if she'll say yes. He, he, he practices what he preaches. The second thing that, that we value in our household is growing in love and respect for each other. So here's the thing. Do my kids fight? Absolutely. They have some rip and fights. Do Gloria and I fight? Absolutely. We have some rip and fights. Surprise. But we, but we always make up and we all get along and we really work hard. At growing in love and respect. And here's what I know. So many of you are more respectful and more courteous and kinder to strangers and to your neighbors than you are to your own family members. What do you value? In our house, we value growing in love and respect of each other. Being polite, being courteous. Never sarcastic. Sarcasm, I'm going to jump all over that. Can't stand it, I hate it. Sarcasm is an attempt of the weak mind to be funny. Number three. We believe in faithful attendance and involvement. Faithful attendance and involvement in church. This, is, this one is not negotiable. You have to go to church. Everybody in our family has to go to church every Sunday. I don't care how you're feeling. I don't care what you think. I don't care if you're not in the right mood. I don't care if you feel blue, dark, depressed. I don't care. You're coming to church. Now, here's what a wise, a wise man will understand, is that when you bring your kids to church, when you bring your family to church, when you make sure your family's in church, 
Just in that one act alone, you fulfill almost all your values. So here's, here's the thing. This is what I tell young couples that are getting married. This is what I tell everybody uh, that wants to have a happy, successful marriage or family. If you don't do anything else, do this one thing. Make sure you're in church without fail. Because it's in the church that you're, there's accountability. It's in church that you have a chance to serve. It's in church that you have an opportunity to, to receive grace from God. Yeah, that's right. You receive grace from God. You receive God's gifts when you're in church. The church is a means of God's grace. It's a place where you are loved, where you're embraced. It's a chance to worship God. We believe in church. We don't miss it no matter what. I mean, we have brought our kids to church, and they've been in my office on the floor sick. And you say, well, that sounds a bit, of a bit extreme, Pastor. Okay, but we weren't sure, so we brought them to church. <laughs> so I'm telling you, even if you're not sure... Come to church. And if you're really, really sick, I'll let you lie down in my office. Uh, number four, we teach our kids to be generous. To be generous with God and to be generous with others. They, my, my kids understand the principle of tithing. They understand the principle of sharing. They understand the principle of giving to others. They understand the principle of hospitality. Our home is always open. People are always welcome in our home. Number five, we believe in being polite and always using good manners. This is, uh, this is almost a foreign idea nowadays because, uh, well, I mean, just watch TV. Number six, uh, personal growth and development, education, we value this. This is why when you come to our house, you'll see books everywhere. I'm reading, Gloria's reading, looking stuff up on the internet. Uh, Nicholas is practicing piano. Jesse's practicing synthesizers, guitar. He's making videos. He's, he's constantly learning and growing. Sarah is, is on this health food kick, and she wants to learn how to eat nutritious, and she's drinking this stuff in the morning. It's called a green monster, and it actually looks like green monster vomit is what it looks like. It's green spinach chopped up in the blender and all kinds of weird concoctions. Sally, you'd love it. Uh, and, and she just she gulps this stuff, stuff down, and I won't even let her bring it into the car because it makes me gag. But she's learning. We're, de- we're devoted to learning and to growing. We're devoted to our friends. We're loyal to our friends and family. We want, we want to be people that are always dependable, that everybody will always know that if you can't depend on anybody else, you can depend on a dun calf. And then finally, we aim for excellence. Actually, I, 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 had, I didn't have that on my list, but when Nicholas went over it, he said, Dad, you always talk about aiming for excellence and being excellent. So you have to put that on the list. That's our value system. Now, guess what? My job as the head of my home, my job as father... And husband is to be the one that is the champion of our value system. I'm the one that reminds everybody what we believe and what we stand for. I'm the one that reminds my kids and even reminds Gloria. And sometimes Gloria has to remind me. This is our value system. This is what we stand for. This is what we believe. This is what this is how we live. This is how we function. This is how we make decisions. This is how we spend our money. It's according to our value system. And my job is to make sure I'm the one that's leading the charge on this. Now, I want to I challenge you today, whether you're married or not, I want to challenge you to sit down and drop 
a value statement. And if you want, I'd be very happy to let you use ours as a template. You don't have to have, you can have the same if you want. You can adopt it. You can do your own, whatever. But I'm going to challenge you. Make sure you know what it is that you believe and what you stand for. Because I can tell you this. Here's without, without fail, every family that doesn't understand their value system, every family doesn't live according to a value system, is a family that's doomed for failure. It's, you're, you're going to hit the rocks. It's going to crumble. You're not going to make it. You need to make sure you have a value system. So I'm going to challenge you. Let this be the day where you sit down on the Lord's Day. Perfect day for this. Sit down with your spouse. Sit down with your family, your kids, whatever. And make out a value statement and say, God helping us, we're going to live according to this. And then husbands, fathers, you be the one that gives leadership in this. You be the one that challenges this and forces this and pushes it. Now here's the neat thing, which leads me now to talking about what it means to be a husband. You ready for this? If you want your wife to truly love you and to follow your leadership, are you ready? Then you be the one that leads the charge in your value system. Because here's what I know from experience. Your wife will love you, will respect you, will admire you, will look up to you if you're the one that is giving leadership in your value system. Be the one that is the knight in shining armor. Be the one that stands for truth and what's right and for godliness. And your wife will adore you. That is the starting point, in fact, for an excellent marriage. Our culture, our society talks about romance and flowers and cards. Our, our culture says that in order to you know, really love your wife, you have to you know, have the romantic this and the romantic that and the flowers and the chocolates and the special dinners and the candlelight. And... No. Here, here's what every, every woman wants to do. I'm, like, I, I understand this is 2013 and this really sounds bizarre in our culture today. But here's what I know. Every woman wants to respect and admire her husband. Ladies, would you agree with that? Yeah. Some aren't sure. Some don't want to say anything because your husband's sitting beside you and, you know, it's just not happening. Every woman wants to admire and respect her husband. And guys, listen to me. The beginning of a great marriage is going to be a marriage where your wife can admire you and respect you. Can she do that? Are you respect worthy? Are you worthy of her honor? That's the beginning of it. I'm going to tell you this. This will turn her on in a way that you can't imagine. Because now, listen to this. Now she's not living with a man who is like one of the kids. Hello? How many marriages a man of the house is in fact one of the kids? He's, one of, he's, the, he's the oldest kid. And he's just as dense as the rest of the kids are. I mean, that's what she's thinking. Like the guy in the camera, he has no clue. He's just made a ton of work for his poor wife. And he thinks he's the hero because he's coming home. And he got, hasn't got a hot clue. The kids come down in the morning. What's for dinner? What's for breakfast, mom? Husband comes down in the morning. What's for breakfast, dear? What am I wearing? Where am I wearing to work today, dear? How come my clothes are on the floor, dear? 
How come I don't have any clothes in the closet? How come I don't have any clean underwear? How come I don't have any clothes? And he's just one of the kids. Now her, now, and now he expects her to be in love with him and to admire and respect him, but he's acting like one of the kids. Listen to me. The starting point, guys, for a great marriage is that your wife admires you and respects you because you are worthy of it. A woman went out to buy a gun. And she, uh, she says to the shop owner, it's for my husband. But madam, guns are very personal. I think that he should be, uh, he should be invited to come down here and, and properly find the gun that suits him. And uh, she says, no, that would ruin the surprise because I plan to shoot him. <laughs> You know, I know today, there are couples here today, and you are under a lot of stress. And wives, you've just been waiting for your husband to hear this talk today. Now, I told everybody in the first service that today I talk about husbands, and next week I talk about the ladies. And so I had one man say after the first service, I can hardly wait till next week. <laughs> so guys, we're, we're picking on you today. You need, you need to be the one that sets the pace in your household. You need to be the champion of your value system. You need to be the one that inspires a respect and an honor. But it doesn't end there. That's absolutely the starting point, but that's not the end point. Here's where this needs to go. You need to stop talking and start acting like you love your wife. Can I remind everybody today that the word love is in fact a verb? Everybody knows that. It's something that you do. Love is, is action. And you may not feel like you're in love with your wife and women, you may not feel that you're in love with your husband, but that, that's, that's not the point. That's totally irrelevant. What matters is that you act lovingly towards your spouse. Now, here's what every single psychiatrist and psychologist and, and social scientist will tell you. Feeling always follows action. Action rarely follows feeling. If you are not feeling in love with your spouse, if you're not feeling it, then you need to start acting it, and the feelings will follow. So what is it that you need to do? Some of you may remember the movie, My Fair Lady, Liza Doolittle. She's taken out of the gutter, speaks, uh, has, a, has an atrocious uh, gutter accent. And, uh, and Mr. Higgins, Professor Higgins, makes a bet with his friend that he could actually get her to speak and act like, um, like a duchess. And he does. She speaks perfect English. She carries herself gracefully. And actually, she begins to develop feelings for him. He has feelings for her too, but he's too pig-headed and too stupid to understand that this is now a, a woman who's in love with him. So frustrated, she goes storming out of the house. And on her doorstep is Freddie. Freddie now is a young man that met her at the races and instantly fell in love with her and has been smitten with this love for her and now literally is on her doorstep day and night waiting for a glimpse of Eliza. 
So Eliza's angry with Dr. H- Professor Higgins. She comes storming out of the house, and as soon as he uh, sees her, he begins to sing. And here's what he sings. I'm not going to sing, don't worry. He sings, Speak, and the world is full of singing. And I'm winging higher than the birds. Touch, and my heart begins to crumble. The heavens tumble. Darling, and I'm, and then Eliza breaks it off. Words, 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 words. I'm so sick of words. I get words all day through, first from him, now from you. Is that all you blighters can do? Don't talk of stars burning above. If you're in love, show me. Friends, this is what it means to be an excellent husband, an excellent father. You need to show the people in your life that you love them. And the only way that you can show them is by the things that you do. Talk is so cheap. And I'm going to say this. If you are by nature a talker, I would suggest that you shut up now. It's kind of rude, isn't it? Stop talking and start acting. Start, start pushing and challenging your value system. Make your wife fall in love with you again. Make your wife respect you again by watching you give leadership with your value system. And it doesn't matter how old your kids are or how young you, your kids are. Make sure you're challenging them regarding their values. And then after that, folks, here's what you need to do, is you need to hear her heart. Remember I said last week, you've got one mouth and two ears, so you need to listen twice as much as you speak. Guys, here's what you need to do. You really need to learn the fine art, and it's a fine art. I've been married for 24 years. I think I'm just catching on to it now, right there? I'm just catching on to this. You've got to learn how to hear what's in your wife's heart. Look at guys, you are not a lawyer, When your wife is talking to you and telling you what she's thinking and telling you how she's feeling, don't be the lawyer and say, when you say I never do anything around here, what exactly do you mean? Are you literally saying I'm not doing anything around here? Don't don't go there. Don't, Don't be the lawyer. What you need to hear her say is, it feels like you never do anything around here. You need to hear what's in her heart. You need to be the one that gives leadership in this. You need to be the one that sets the pace. You need to be the one that knows how she's really feeling and what she's thinking. Because I can say this. She will not hear any of your nice words if you're not showing your actions, your love through your actions. You can talk. You can send flowers. If you send her flowers, she'll throw them on the floor. You can bring her candy. Well, she'll eat those. You can, uh, you, 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 can, you can send cards. You can candlelight dinner. You can put the barbecue on. It'll mean nothing to her until she sees how much you really care about her by how much you listen to her. You need to express affection. And there needs to be intimacy. Guys, can I remind you that affection and intimacy is not just sex? Can I remind you that there'll be no affection and there will be no intimacy if you don't do the first two things? 
You'll notice that I put that at third place on the list, and I'll tell you why. Because before there'll be any intimacy, before there'll be any affection or any sex, first of all, she's got to respect you, she's got to admire you, and secondly, she's got to know that you actually care what's in her heart. And when that's done, then you, then you need to make sure that she knows how much you care about her by your physical touch. And at the end of it all, You've got to serve her. Because that's really what it means to be a leader. You've got to be the chief servant in your house. You need to live for your kids and live for your wife. You need to serve them and take care of their needs first before you ever take care of your own. Guys, here's what so many men do. They take care of their own needs first. They go and and buy what they want for themselves. They make sure that their needs, that they get the break, that they get what they like, that they buy what they want. They don't really care about their wife and kids. You want to make sure that your kids are taken care of, your wife is taken care of first. That's what it means to be a servant father. I want to close by telling you this. Don't be like this couple that came to me not that long ago. They don't come to this church. I never met them before, haven't seen them before then, i never seen them since. But I got a call one day, and, and this person said to me, Pastor, my marriage is in trouble. Can you help me? Now, when a, when a man comes to me and says that, my marriage is in trouble, can you help me? Uh, nine times out of ten, I can't. Because by the time the guy gets that his troubles and mar- his marriage is in trouble, it's over. You can put a fork in it; it's done. So he, he I said, you can come to my office. We can chat. And um, I said, if you, you better try to bring your wife along. So he did, and she came. And so I said, I'm really glad you're both here. And. Um, and he said, well, I'm hoping that you can help us. And I turned to her and I said, very simply, I said, do you want your marriage to work? She said, oh, no, I have no, no intentions of ever going back to him. I said, well, why are you here? He said, well, you never know if you could learn something. You know, I might be able, I could learn something for, for my next relationship. <laughs> so he's sitting there looking at her, looking at me, obviously embarrassed, doesn't know what to say. And I said, I looked at him and I said, I can tell you exactly what happened in your marriage. I don't even need you to tell me the details. I already know them. She looked at him. He looked at her. Did you tell him? She said, no, I've never talked to him before. I said, here's what happened. I said, in your marriage, now remember, I've never met this couple before. I don't know their story, but I, I, I do know it. I know it from years of experience of doing this. I said, I said, uh, he, never, he never talks to you or tells you that he loves you. Am I right? Yes, that's right. I said, he criticizes you all the time that tells you what a terrible person you are, right? Yes, that's right. I said, he doesn't give leadership in your home. You have to do everything. Is that right? By this time now, she's sobbing. That's right. That's exactly right. How did you know? Because this is how every marriage falls apart. It's because... The man in the marriage is not being the man in the marriage. He's not being the father that he needs to be. He's not being the husband he needs to be. Now, here's the thing. Wherever you are in your life right now, today is the start of a new day. Things can change this moment. Young people, the day is coming when you're going to get married. Make the right choice and make them now. Guys, I'm telling you now how to be a great husband, how to be a great father. If you do these things, you're going to have a great marriage, a great life ahead. Those of you who are struggling right now, The turning point, guys, this is why I started with men first. 
It always begins with a man. Men, you have got to be the one that leads the way. You're the one that's got to, to take the initiative. You're the one that's got to be set the pace. They sat there. She cried. And then I said, and here's, what, here's probably what happened. I don't know this for sure, but I'm guessing that somebody was nice to you at work. Am I right? Yes, she says, yes. I said, somebody you had never met before. Am I right? Yes. He talked to me nicely and told me that I had a nice smile. That's all he said. And those were the nicest words she had heard in years. And and an affair was born that moment. A relationship was born that moment. Guys, listen to me. If they're not... If your wives are not getting the love, the attention, the nourishment, the nurture from you, they're going to find it somewhere else. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your presence here. Thank you, Father, for what you want to do in our marriages and in our families. You want our families to be fantastic. Some of us have been wondering why we're having problems. But God, I pray right now that this would be a turning point in marriages today. And those who have been through a rough time, that this would be, uh, this would be the point of, of change so that we never have to go through that again. For the young people here who are looking forward to the day of marriage, God, I pray that our young men here would learn the lessons of what it means to be an excellent husband and father. For the young ladies here who are looking for a husband, God, may they, look, may they set their standards high and may they find a man who meets the biblical ideal. Father, thank you for my marriage. Thank you for my family. Thank you for the great joy and the great pleasure that I receive from my family. I thank you for my wife, Gloria. Thank you for my kids, Jesse, Nicholas, and Sarah. What a great gift. What a great joy. The greatest joy of my life. Truly, life is about our relationships. So God, I pray this for everyone here today that they may have wonderful, wonderful marriages, wonderful family life. God, give us the courage to take the steps that we need to take in order to have a great and abundant life. And we pray that in Jesus' name. And everyone said it with me? Amen. Amen. Now tell the person beside you, go be a good father.